What's going on, everyone, and welcome to First Pitch 305. This is Season 2, Episode 2 of First Pitch 305, and I'm your host, Alex Aguirre, and this is the Marlins and Baseball Podcast for LemonCityLive.com. You can listen to this episode wherever you find your podcast. It can be Apple or Spotify, and you can listen and watch this podcast on YouTube or on LemonCityLive.com. And guys, for this episode, joining me, he's a returner. He was on season one a few times. He covers the Marlins for Fish on First. And you can also catch his amazing work on the Pause Up podcast. That's a podcast here on LemonCityLive.com where they cover all of FIU athletics. Joining me for today's episode is the one and only Kevin Barral. Kevin, what's going on, my man? What's up, man? It's been a while. You know, I was wondering where this podcast went, but I'm glad you brought it back to life here. Season two. I'm excited to be your first guest of the year. And Man, there's a lot to talk about with this Marlins team, despite, you know, the lack of movement on the major league side of things. No, absolutely. And yes, this podcast wasn't a bit of a hibernation, but we're back. We we were a bit dormant for 2023, but we're back now for the 2024 season. And yeah, I'm glad to get this thing up and running again. And I appreciate you joining me, Kevin. And for those listening, um, Kevin joined um, or not joined, but he, I guess, attended the Marlins Fan Fest this year. I didn't have the opportunity to go because of time conflicts with work, but that's okay because I had plenty of other friends and media members that did attend the event, including Kevin. So this episode, we're going to break down his experience at FanFest, what went on there, any breaking news, anything that came to the eye for Kevin, any specific interviews that he heard or conducted. And then from there, we're going to go into kind of get Kevin's take on the offseason so far for the Marlins. I, if you want to listen to the first episode of this season, that's I kind of give a more in-depth breakdown of how the offseason went for the Marlins. But I want to get Kevin's take, and then we're going to round off this episode talking about in more detail, because I sprinkled it, I sprinkled in a little bit of details last in last episode, but we're going to get um, deeper with some spring training talk and position battles and any players to keep an eye on to keep an eye on because there are the Marlins do have, you know, some players that could make an impact. Like remember last year with Dane Myers, no one really saw him coming and he had a good stretch to kind of help the Marlins. And, you know, when jazz went down with an injury, so we'll get into that towards the end of the episode and players to look out for in spring training, but let's get into fan fest. Kevin, talk to me now. I know you were there. Um, Marlins had some breaking news in terms of their new uniforms, but before we get into the new unis, let's go more from the, just the overall atmosphere, you know, not, not a lot of moves were made this off season for the Marlins coming off a really fun season, you know, nothing really to really look forward to or build upon so far based off the moves they made. What was the vibe at fan fest? How was it? What, what, what did you feel compared to last year's fan fest? Cause I know you were there as well. Yeah. You mentioned the lack of movement. I mean, the guys they even brought in, you know, Vidal Brujan and Christian Betancourt, they weren't even there. They were playing for their prospective winter league teams. Hmm. So the only additions they really did make, they weren't even there. But, you know, aside from that, um, it was from 4 to 10, so it was weird. It was on a Friday, which certainly, I mean, you know this living in Miami as well. It's rush hour traffic. I mean, it's the worst possible time that set that up at. But, again, things happened. Skip had to go um, to New York to um, receive his Manager of the Year award. Things happened, mm-hmm. so they had to do it on a Friday. I was there from around, I want to say, 4 o'clock to, like, almost 8. And for the most part, from when I was there, it felt a little bit dead. I think that's the best way to put it. Obviously, it's a Friday. I think that's the big thing, too. I mean, if this was on a Saturday, maybe things would be different. But again, um, you know, there was not – I mean, from the media side of things, I could give it to you. It was pretty good. We got the access we needed. We spoke to Skip after. I mean, it was great. But the fan side, it felt a little difficult to reach out to these players. I mean, you would see the guys walking around and this and that, but it was a little difficult to actually, you know, talk to these players, get to sit down with them, fan, you know, just looking at it in terms of a mere fan perspective. And unlike last year, when you were able to go on the field, throw with baseball, do whatever you want, they didn't even have the field open. The only thing that was only open exclusively to Marlins members. So as we saw, I think this is their se- the second year they're doing this. You could swing for your seats. So it's essentially how it is. You swing and, if the ball ends on a certain spot, that's how much you get for your season tickets or the Marlins will help you, you know? So if you hit a home run, you get $10,000 and essentially your tickets are free. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly a little disappointing in the terms of you would have kind of hoped that the Marlins would have done that swing for your seats maybe another day, only exclusively for Marlins members so they could right. actually open the field. But I don't even think they had the tour of the, of the clubhouse like they do most years. 
they didn't have a lot of the stuff they did last year. And it was a little disappointing. From the most part, the atmosphere outside was a little dead until kind of the night came along. And that's when they started bringing out bands to play. And that's, you know, I, I would say around like the 730 markers when it really started to fill up as well. You would see a lot of people coming in. I mean, that's already rush hours kind of over by then. People are out, out of their jobs. You can make it there still with about three hours left where you had the fireworks show, the diamond dash if you're, you know, a kid. And you had opportunities like that. And that was certainly a good part. And then, as we know, the, the state of the Marlins was the other event that went on there. So that was certainly interesting, especially the fan portion of it. So uh, the, the last question we got was a Sixto Sanchez question. So wasn't expecting that to come out there. But, yeah, I mean, overall, it was a good experience. I enjoy it always. It's one of my favorite events of the year. You get to see all the players there. Uh, only 40-man guys. We saw about almost all of them, to be honest with you. And, um, yeah, I mean, no jazz. Unfortunately, there were there were issues out of his hand that he could not make it. But, you know, once that comes out officially, you know, everyone will understand it. Yeah, uh, FanFest was good. I enjoy it always. I'm always out there with the Fish on First guys and, you know, media members. So good to catch up with all those people and good to see, you know, fans and all that stuff and see how they react to some of the new players on this team. Wow, that, you know, that's, a, that's, that's awesome to hear in terms of your experience, but kind of disappointing in regards to the other um, events or, or features that were presented last year that weren't, um, I guess, available or even happening this, this fan fest for this year. Um, but that's cool, though, in terms of, I guess, majority of the, from the 40-man roster, majority of those players were there. Um, yeah. Sandy was there, obviously. They highlighted him a lot uh, via social media. So that's good yeah. to see that, you know, the top players on the roster are, are still making appearance, even in the offseason. And um, you mentioned as well, because I this hit me, like, weird as well, the time. From 4 to 10 on a Friday. You know, and I, I totally agree with you, Kevin, in the sense that an event like this, especially when you didn't have a, a very successful offseason, it's going to be, like, just plain and simple like that. It, it, was, it hasn't been a successful offseason whatsoever. And then you come up with, and I get it's the whole timing with skip. So that, okay, that makes sense. But if let's say that, you know, like I hope, you know, for Marlins and their front office and ownership, I hope that if skip didn't have um, this award acceptance that day, they would, they would have at least planned to have this fan fest on a Saturday or a Sunday to make it more accessible for a lot more people. Because let's be real here, four o'clock on a Friday in Miami. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a good time to start any event. You know, people are wanting to get home or wanting to get back home and shower or get ready to go out or do something like on a Friday night. Like it's just, this is more of a Sunday afternoon type of event. You know, that's what I feel, but that's a huge coordination process, especially with parking and police presence, things like that. It's a big ordeal, but still though, I just wish that it was, excuse me, that it was, it was on a different day for, for more people to go. That's all I really want is to, for the fan experience. And but so moving on to oh, what were you saying, Kevin? The only thing I was going to say, just sorry to cut you off there, no, but, you know, look at the Braves, for example. And, you know, obviously, sure. yeah, let's say that. I mean, Ronald Acuna wasn't there. He was in New York receiving his award. They did this on a Saturday. He was there. He wasn't there. I mean, you know, obviously everyone wants to see Skip, but let's right. be honest, guys. I mean, the 40 man's still going to be there. I don't, no offense to Skip. I don't think many people are going to want to get his autograph. Although, you know, he's, he was a manager of the year. But aside from that, I mean, it kind of, you kind of start to realize too, they presented Skip with these uh, custom Jordans. They had him there for the state of the Marlins. So there's the reasoning of why you wanted him. But again, you have to think about it. A lot of people, no offense to the fans, but they probably don't know who Skip Schumacher is until you go to FanFest. A lot of these fans that go to FanFest, they go because it's free and they're probably going to end up getting an autograph. You know, that's at the end of the day. But, you know, they'll have another year. There's no city of Caribe. There's no, you know, at that point, you hope there's no more distractions outside of that. But, you know, my only suggestion would have been maybe move it back a week, maybe do this on a Sunday. You could have done this a little earlier, too, on a Sunday, because I know a lot of people who like to go out on Sundays, whatever the case may be. But, you know, there were definitely alternate options to do it. But, you know, it's still the, the fact that it did fill up pretty well at the end, especially that's, I guess, what they were trying to go for. And they, they obviously did it. Apparently, over 15,000 people were there. So good to know. Well, that is somewhat promising. At least it did fill out towards the end of the event. And we'll see moving forward how the attendance looks when the season begins, you know, because their attendance did improve a lot last season. Their highest attendance since the opening year of Marlins Park, now Lone Depot Park, since 2012. So that's a good sign. So let's see if they can build off that from a fan perspective. 
And sticking with FanFest, Kevin, I want to go now into the new unis, the new uniforms. Yeah. They were revealed at FanFest. Um, I want to get your take on it, obviously, but just to uh, give a little preview for the listeners, um, the Marlins um, unveiled two new uniforms, a baby blue or a blue, kind of a light blue um, uniform, and then they redid or retouched their black uniforms. Um, And from according to our editor and our technically our boss here at Lemon City Live, um, he has some connections with the Marlins Clubhouse guys. And they, and, and according to them, and he related to me, they basically told Edwin that um, the Marlins and pretty much and all MLB teams, their contract with Nike, it's a four and one deal, four and one. So it's four uniforms plus that this one, the one, a one custom or one, I guess, fun jersey. And the, that one for the Marlins is that the Red City connects. So they're keeping yep. that one, that the, the one uniform that I guess, is the odd man out is the the one that the, the fan favorite i guess going back to the fan it's just one of those weird things but the old school teal pinch drive early like early 90s marlins uniforms with the teal hats and everything that is yeah. gone for 2024 um you know it, the blue uniforms are cool and i do like the, the way they retouch the black one so it's the blue the black the road grays and the home whites and and then the the, the red city um the red city connect. city connect jerseys thank you and so i mean the i do i i want so kevin what do you think about those new unis i'm i'm disappointed that the, the old school uniforms are out but the Marlins still have some nice uniforms and i'm glad that they 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 kind of revamped it a little bit i definitely wondered what they were going to do about the the teal because obviously that was the big hit this year it was all of your work i mean there's no other way to say it they, they the flashback friday events were yeah. a hit you were able to bring back a lot of former marlins just in that perspective itself the jerseys looked really cool yuri perez made his debut on the flashback friday and that was probably one of the cooler moments of the season despite you know despite the result of that game you know yeah. it, it's definitely tough but man when you look at those new jerseys they look really nice i love the black jersey with the with the white mar i think it's marlins at the front it looks yes. really nice in person uh, is it a little, I think the white is a little too bright, but that's, you know, it's fine I, in the night at night, it looks nicer too. So, and then you have obviously the, the blue one, the teal one, which, or yeah, I guess blue. Yeah. That they've wanted to, you bring back for a while. So funny story. And I'm glad you shared this, you know, Jason Latimer, who was the former Marlins PR guy mm-hmm. at the head, he started this, I guess this movement, you could say to bring the teal, to bring that blue spring training Jersey into the season. So it was nice that they were finally able to do that despite him leaving. And I think he also had to do with adding that white on the Marlins on that black jersey. And uh, I'm I'm really curious to see how what jersey they'll implement during spring training because we obviously know the the usual batting practice jersey, the one that that blue jersey they use during spring. Are they going to use the new one or are they going to stick to the old one? I I do think they'll stick to the to bring out the new one. That would be pretty cool to check out during the spring itself. But there's all obviously, you know, the chance where they just stick to the old one and save it. So if I had to predict Sundays, it'll probably be that blue jersey. And then Fridays, you'll get that black one with uh, the Caliente Rojo one in, uh, in, uh, on Saturdays. But, man, I like the jerseys. I'm not complaining. I know a lot of people have their mixed reviews, but it's something that they had to do for a while. And it brings a little, you know, some excitement to the Marlins offseason that we'll get into soon. I agree. I agree. I think it does bring some some type of buzz or excitement to a, a very quiet off season for Miami. And I do like the blue uniforms. I do. And I'm, you know, I'm glad they're keeping the city connect ones. You know, I am a, one of those fans. that's a bit disappointed at the, 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 the flashback Friday jerseys that, you know, they will be discontinued. I'm sure they'll, they'll still be selling them in the gift shops and whatnot. Cause that's, that would be a, I guess a dumb decision to completely remove it from the merchandise. Um, and that's good to know. I didn't know that we were going to be seeing those blue uniforms on Sundays. I thought it was more just whenever for home games. I and, think it'll be Sundays. So Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then I think, you know, my, from my opinion for spring, for spring training, they're going to keep the, like the old ones. Cause I feel like they're a little bit, they're like a different type of blue or like a light baby blue. So like, I, I think feel it's like the same blue. I oh, think really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's the same exact blue from what I saw at least, but I don't know what they're going to use here in spring. I, I would have to assume it's the old one that they had before. I, I don't. It would be a little weird if they used a new one. Maybe you bring it out for a game or two, but aside from that, I don't know. Hmm. And I want to get into now the state of the Marlins so that we can like uh, wrap up our fan fest portion of the podcast. Um, you mentioned six a six zero Sanchez question. 
I'll, I'm going to get into that in a bit. But overall, tell me just how was the atmosphere for the state of the Marlins and the type of questions were they productive questions? Did people leave there? Or did any like did, did were questions answered appropriately, or was it was just a lot of fluff talk? You know, so tell tell me your dissection of the state of the Marlins. Yeah, so you know, before the state of the Marlins, we got there about you know 10, 20 minutes before, and fans are already talking, man. I mean, you could hear them talking about the issues with shortstop, how they still don't have a catcher. So, mm-hmm. so you know, they're obviously a little you know mad, but. You know, now when it comes time to talk to the guy who makes the moves, that's when you have to tell yourself, am I really going to tell him what I think or am I going to keep it moderated? Now, there's obviously some people who who are like, you know, why don't you sign someone like this was a straight up question, you know, since you guys can't afford Shohei Otani or Yoshinobu Yamamoto <laughs> and they started laughing. Why? Why maybe not go after someone like a J.D. Martinez or Justin Turner, who now signed with the Blue Jays mm-hmm. and, you know, Bendix. He's he's an interesting guy. He's he's obviously one of the smarter guys in baseball, one of the smartest in baseball. But it was, it was a lot of fluff, you know. Hey, we're still looking out there. There's a lot of guys left. We still have time to make moves. So it was a lot of the same there. And then they spoke a little bit about 2023. It definitely felt like the Marlins were trying to emphasize 2023. You know, they made the postseason. They had a great year, and it's good to know, you know. But man, you haven't ma- you haven't spent a single major league dollar on a free agent, you know. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets really tough. A lot of six toe questions. A lot of questions about how to get into the industry. You know, it was a lot of it was a lot of you know. I wouldn't say. And then you know when Kyle Seeloff, who does the Marlins radio play by play, asked right. some questions, it was a lot of fluff. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. I would have been very surprised if they would have given out something, you know, good to the fans, you would have maybe thought maybe Bendix would throw a little teaser. No, nothing. So uh, certainly disappointing on that end. But, hey, I mean, people still got their articles out of it. So that's, yeah, that's for sure. the thing at the end. And, you know, and then the Sixto question, they essentially just said, you know, we're excited to see what Sixto brings hmm. to the table come spring training. There's not much more you can really say about this guy, you know. He, he pitched in one game in all of 2023. There's not much more you could say about that. Very true. It's it's a slow climb uphill for Sixto Sanchez and his comeback to Major League Baseball. And I don't see that happening anytime soon, especially in 2024. So I guess for his calendar or his comeback, I think it's more of a pressing matter in 2025. Um, Because I was curious about Sixto. He's still in the system and he was he came onto the scene guns blazing in 2020, you know, so. Yeah, um, but uh, he's an afterthought, and I mean that in a nice way because he's technically not going to be playing in 2024 for the Marlins. So he's an afterthought in that sense. He's I'm sorry, still on the 40 man. He's still on the 40 yeah. man. So I mean, they still they definitely still value the guy. It's just a matter of, of what type of role would he bring. And at this point, you are banking on either Triple A depth or he, best case scenario, he's going to be a reliever for the big league roster. I mean, I think his days as a starter are more than over. It's unfortunate because. That, along with Igor Perez and Sandy Alcantara, that would have been lethal. But unfortunately, things happen. And, you know, a lot of it is out of his control. And um, But, yeah, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, the what if is always there because he is a flamethrower like Yuri and Sandy. And he has nasty stuff as well. But, like, six changeup was the second best pitch. And it was nasty because it was a hard, weird kind of changeup like Edward Cabrera's changeup. So, um it's just one of those what ifs and it's unfortunate things are out of your control and that's just the way the baseball gods work. But I'm glad we're talking about player personnel now. And thank you, Kevin, for your dissection and your analysis of FanFest. So that was really cool. And thank you for everyone as well on Fish on First who attended and their and, and shared their analysis of FanFest. But let's move on to uh, player personnel. We, we teased a little bit. You mentioned briefly about Vidal Bruhan, Christian Betancourt not being at FanFest because they're playing in the Serie de Caribe. Um, for their respective teams. So let's, but let's move on overall to the team and the way it looks today, January 31st. What has been, I gave my, my bright, my highlight, my bright spot of the off season in episode one, but what it will for you, if I, if you were to pinpoint, I guess one positive or like the highlight, the highlight, highlight of this Marlins off season, what would it be? Development. I mean, okay. Look at the guys they brought in. You bring in Gabe Kapler, who, Whatever you may think about the guy's personality, he is a smart baseball mind. He Agreed. was a part of the Dodgers organization that he was the he was the farm director for the Dodgers who had Corey Seager, Walker Bueller. You know, you had um, Dustin May, probably. I think Dustin May. You had the shortstop Gavin Lux. I mean, 
he had talent, man, and he knew what to do. You bring in Rachel Balkovic, who that's going to be a hitter, in my opinion, it's just more of a hit or miss type of hire because mm-hmm. you're going from coaching all the way to a front office role, which, you know, she was a part of the Yankees organization. So they're certainly well known for what they do. I mean, Jason Dominguez, you look at Anthony Volpe, Oswald mm-hmm. Peraz. I mean, they have, they have guys. Um, so that's certainly something to, to recognize there. And then you bring in Frankie Pilieri, who I'm very, very excited to see what he does. And that may be the biggest get in terms of just how important he's going to be for this team in terms of drafting. I mean, Alex, you know this more than anyone else. This is a team that has struggled to draft position players mm-hmm. and develop them. Jacob Berry has struggled at the, with yeah. the Marlins. Connor Scott is no longer a Marlin. J.J. Blade got traded on FanFest. And who's the That's other right. one? Uh, Khalil Watson got traded for Josh Bell. I mean, those are three guys who are no longer with the organization that were drafted under the Bruce Sherman era. And I want to say two of those guys were DJ Svillick and those guys are not here anymore. And I know Frankie Pilieri with the Seattle Mariners, he's certainly a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. Look at the Mariners in the last couple of years, Emerson Hancock, George Kirby. I think Harry Ford may have been a draft pick. I mean, you look at the guys, even Jared Kalanick, who they traded yeah. for, but still, I mean, you have, you must have had some sort of interest in him during the draft to have acquired him after, but you know, they, they're a successful team when it comes to developing players. They have a pretty damn good farm system. And then the other thing I'm very excited about is the international side of things. I mean, they had a very good international class. One of the better pitchers in the class itself, Jose Paulino. You bring in the top guy, Luis Cova, followed by Ramon Castro. And then now in 2025, you're bringing in Andrew Salas, who brother Ethan and Jose Salas. Right. He may be the best out of the three. That's what I'm hearing. I think this guy is really, really good. A little weird they moved him off a shortstop at, what, 16 years old? But he's going to get almost $5 million or $4 million. And this is under Ozzo Campo, who you look back at his time, at his days in Houston, Jose Urquidy, Frambo Valdez, Christian Javier. I mean, those are all his guys who he brought in through the international market. And if you look at what Peter Bendix has been saying since day one, he wants to change the infra- infrastructure of this organization. And, right. man, I, I love what he's done in terms of the front office hires. Unfortunately, it hasn't led to much major league movement, and that's where we'll probably get into soon. But Bendix is a smart guy. He knows where he's coming from, and he's making all these minor league signings for a reason. And, and man, you know, at some point we'll get a trade. We'll get something. You know, it's it's going to be extremely dis- – it'll be very weird if they don't make a single major league signing. And it's bound to happen, whoever it is, a reliever or a shortstop, even if it's Alberto Mondesi who, who was in the rumors the other day, you know. And they're bound to do it. But you look at the infrastructure of this organization, it looks a lot better. And I even forgot Brandon Mann, who comes from, I think, Driveline. That, that's a very analytical pitching organization that does a lot of work with pitchers. That is a great one. I spoke actually to A.J. Puck not too long ago about this, and he spoke very highly of Brandon Mann and the work that he's been able to do. So that's definitely another guy who we should look out for. You know, this is an organization that's very good at developing pitching. Now you got to do it with the hitters. And I think they brought the right people to do it. For sure. And I feel like the Mons have been cursed for years now in terms of developing um, position players. And and you, I totally forgot you mentioned Khalil Watson and all these other guys that they traded away for big league talent. And those were, I guess, the Marlins' top position players in terms of talent-wise and trajectory. Oh, wow, yeah. And and yeah, the, you know, they traded Khalil Watson um, for Josh Bell. And he did, and that was my highlight of the offseason. It was Josh Bell um, deciding to return to the yeah. Miami Marlins, you know, that's from a player personnel standpoint. That's great to know, especially for our listeners, um, the the minor league moves and the international moves that the Marlins have made. Because like I said in, in my first episode of this season, those are the type of moves that are not going to garner a lot of headlines and a lot of traction through right. social media right. and whatnot. Um, but uh, look, look uh, hearing what you had to say and realizing that, yeah, the Marlins are going from the ground up. It sucks, especially from a fan standpoint, because here we go again. But this is something that needed to be done. The Marlins farm system has been depleted and has been poorly run, for lack for lack of a better term, in terms of just finally, like, when are we going to see somebody come up other than like a pitcher here and there that's going to make an impact? You know, so mm-hmm. these international signings are huge because the Marlins have dipped into their pockets for international players and it has backfired in like a la the Mesa brothers, you know? So that we don't, as fans, we cannot see that happen again. So they have to strike gold on one of these guys. And it's good thing that you're mentioning these 
um, people people that are coming from other organizations now they're with the Marlins that they at least they have a track record of finding talent and recognizing talent and and molding that talent into big league ready players. So at the end of the day, sorry to cut yeah. you off, but at the end of the day, no. you have to think about it. I mean, Peter Bendix comes from the Rays. I mean, the biggest yeah. contract they've ever given out was Zach Eflin. And that tells you a lot. And that was just what last year. I mean, mm-hmm. look, he's he. You're, you're This had to be done at some point. No matter who was at the helm, no matter if it was Kim, Mike Hill, anyone. This had to be done. I mean, this farm system, man, may as well be maybe the worst in baseball. Or you look at Houston, you're looking around that area, like maybe top five, top three worst farm systems in baseball. I mean, your best yeah. position player prospect to one point, no offense to him, he was a really good baseball player in minor leagues. Troy Johnson was at this point maybe one of your best position players, and he is almost 27 years old when the season starts. So that tells you just where this system was at. And, you know, it's very little moves that were made right now. But you look at the who they brought in through minor league deals, through – small trades, whatever it is, the farm system got better. You added a really good outfielder in Luis Cova. You added from pretty good pitching. I like the catching that they brought in too through the international class. And eventually, maybe right now it's not making headlines, but it will make headlines for the Marlins very soon. I do think on right now under Ozzo Campo, who told us that right now they're not looking f- to replace that original uh, senior director of amateur scouting operations, he's going to take that over. And he is very, very, he, he's very knowledgeable when it comes to that part of the organization. So I'm interested to see what happens, you know, not only 2025, now we know who the headline signing will be just moving forward because a lot of these deals are materialized. And that's the one thing with this market. International market, these deals are materialized years in advance. So, for example, Kova has had this deal with the Marlins since I want to say 2022, 2021. I mean, this guy's been wearing that Marlins hat and shirt for a very long time in his workouts. And same thing goes with now uh, Andrew Solis, who's coming to the organization next year officially. So, I mean, you look at Salas, that guy will probably maybe be the number one prospect in the organization entering right, you know, if I had to rank him right now, he would be number one, Kova would be maybe three or four. So certainly something to look at, especially that area. I mean, the Rays have really knocked out that they've done really well for themselves. And we won't talk about him right now, but Wonder Franco was one very good international signing. Won't yeah. mention anything anymore about him. Yeah. Junior Camarero, another very good one. I mean, I think maybe Randy, Randy was a trade, but still. Very small trades like that end up working out. Yandy Diaz, another one who I believe mm-hmm. was an international signing. I mean, the Rays have hit. If it's trades, if, if it's anything, this is an organization that has built themselves on farm system and development and international signings. And they've done it. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They've done it and they've hammered it down. Now that's why they're able to spend a little more. That's why you see them handing out the contracts that maybe now they wouldn't have done a couple of years back. Eflin. Even the Wander Franco extension, they gave that one out. No matter what happened after that, they gave it out and they believed. And, you know, now things, let's see what happens there in that situation. But, you know, they're giving these out. And um, that's why we're hearing Hazel Suzardo trade rumors. I mean, exactly like the Blake Snell stuff. But, you know, that's for another day because hopefully Luzardo stole Marlin and he is the opening day starter. But it was very heavy on front office this offseason. And that's the best way to put it. I don't even think it's a rebuild, it's more of a retool. And I don't disagree with it. This had to happen at some point. Yeah, I I, I gave my my two cents about the uh, Lissardo and Garrett Braxton Garrett rumors. Um, if you're gonna go full rebuild, then you trade him. You know, it's you know if ands or buts. If that's the route you're gonna take, in, 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 in terms of Peter Bendix in the front office, then you do it. And you and like you're damn sure that you get some good prospects in return. You know, because that's that's the point of these trades. You're you're getting exactly. rid of your two best pitchers right now. If it does happen, on the other hand. Uh, they stay on the roster then at least you have your one and two going into this season and you can you can still you know hopefully you know remain competitive i like peter bendick so far uh, you know in terms of like what he's doing from behind the scenes and building from the ground up um because he said it needed to be done because you're not like you're not going to have a future if you continue rolling out the same uh type of prospects and also if you if you're trying to plug in holes by trading away decent prospects for ready major league players that are ready now, but they might not be committed for you to you in the long run. And so, like Josh Bell and and, and Berger, at least he ha- you know he's under team control for a few years. But that's just you know a very rare occasion of a player being under control for that long of a time and that type of talent. So, I just feel like the Marlins needed to get into that race philosophy because for the last few years, even with Mattingly around, they were always on the fence of well, are we, we going to are we going to spend money? 
Are we going to, you know, develop talent and be a small market team? They were always kind of like, sometimes they'll spend and sometimes they won't. And, some, you know, yep. it was kind of 50-50 with these type of things. So at least they have an identity. At least they have a path and a game plan. And that's and then that's going to start from the ground up. And it's just going to spread through the whole entire organization. Kind of like what the Rays did. Because now when you think of the Rays as a baseball fan, you think of success, success but it's, but also small market. And that's the identity the Marlins have to take. It is what it is. I'm not saying you have to mimic everything that the Rays are doing because sometimes if you copy too much, you then then you know you're not creating your own identity and you're just trying to recreate something that's not granted. It's not going to grant you. It's not going to you know be a surefire thing that you're going to have the same amount of success as the Rays. But at least bringing an identity and some type of culture and philosophy, it was the right thing to do because the Marlins didn't have any identity. They're, you know, the Marlins, like we said, we're going to be a small, we're going to be a small ball team last year. And we're going to, you know, move runners over and we're going to steal bases. And we're going to like, and at the end of the day, like they still had a mediocre offense. Like they still had like, you know, they had, they were a struggling team to score, to, to score runs. So at least now they have a path and they have, and they know what they want to do. And, and then that reflects on the type of players they are going to put on the field based off their game plan and their budget. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they put out there because right now the roster, you know, it's kind of intact from last year, but not re really. There's some some bench pieces, some other guys, some minor players that have moved on. So we're going to get into that now and, and then get into now the spring training talk. And let's talk, like we mentioned some young guys, you know, some international signings, so that's good. But let's get into more of the big league players. And Kevin, I want to talk to you about, you know, the spring training, any position battles that you are looking forward to or – Anything that catches your eye that maybe Marlins fans haven't noticed yet? Shortstop. I mean, shortstop. That's, that's the big one. I mean, right now they have not signed a major league shortstop to a major league deal. The big right now, if you're going into opening day 2024, you technically don't have a shortstop because as much as I like John Birdie, I just don't think he could stick at that position for 162 games. You kind of are right now. I think the that position battle between three guys, Jacob Amaya, who's at the minor league level with the Marlins. He came up for a very quick cup of coffee. Yeah. Xavier Edwards, who we've seen a lot of back and forth in terms of where he will play. And John Birdie, who has the experience, had a very nice year for the Marlins. So, yeah, that's the other one. But, you know, that's that's the one I'm looking at. You know, um, if Jacob Amai's glove is probably the best out of the three. He is a very good defensive shortstop. His defense was compared to Miguel Rojas when he was traded here to Miami and when Miggy went to, uh, you know, L.A., but the bat just wasn't there. And it was there. It was there for Jacob Amaya in the first half of the AAA season, all the way up to before he caught called up. I don't know if it was maybe a motivation type of thing that he his motivation got crushed after getting sent down. I don't know if it avails any of that, but he goes down and starts to struggle again. I really do hope he could get it with the bat. If he could at least hit you for league average, be a 90 to 95 to 100 WRC plus type of guy where 100 league average you take that and that guy has control and he has time, you know, he has time to still develop, especially in a retool year where the Marlins aren't really banking on much. Mm -hmm. He has time. Xavier Edwards. That's I, I really don't know where to see where I see him right now. I think the bat is great. His offense is great. Unfortunately, he is not a DH. I mean, it's really hard to spend a spot there for a guy who, you know, at his, at his absolute floor, he's like a Garrett Hampson where, He's going to be a pinch runner, defensive replacement at times. We know we saw him at center field during the AAA season. We heard from Skip that center field was going to be in the plans for him. But then we hear from Peter Bendix that they're going to give him every shot possible to play shortstop. And I really don't know where I'm leaning towards. Uh, if you could find some sort of combination between both, kind of like um, I heard this name today, Tommy Edmond, where you have yeah. him at center and short. No, Tommy Edmonds, the absolute best possible option in terms of what type of player you would like Xavier Edwards to be. That guy is a gold glove winner, both at short and center. So, you know, you kind of look at yourself there. And then Birdie, I mean, Birdie is is you would you would like to stick keep him at utility. He had dealt with a lot of injuries last year in terms of you know undisclosed injuries. He dealt with a lot of those, which prevented him from being the John Birdie we saw in 2022. But that's the big one I'm looking at. Aside from that, man, I mean. First base is a position I'll be looking at just to see who they bring into backup. We know they brought in Trey Mancini kind of into that Yuli Gurriel role. So I'm interested to see if, because just like Gurriel and Jose Iglesias, Mancini has the opt-outs in his deal. So if he sees a chance that maybe he's not making the opening day roster or he's not going to, he's going to stick at AAA for a while, 
he could opt out and leave, and that would leave you with Troy Johnston and possibly Luis Arise as your backup. That's really the only one other I'm looking at. I would like to see what they do at third base because Jake Berger, as good as he was with the Marlins last year offensively, he was able to hold it down at third for the most part. But I want to see who they have as a backup. I mean, look, at the end of the day, what I'm looking at is what depth pieces will step up when guys go down and which guys will step in when guys are, you know, like arrested. Like one day Josh Bell is resting. Who do you bring in? And what guys do you bring in that will produce? Because let's be honest, they lost 36 home runs in the, out of that lineup. Jorge yeah. Soler most likely will not be a Marlin in 2024. And that's, that's it. And Jake Berger may not be that 300 hitter. Josh Bell, no offense, he may get traded halfway through the year. That is the easiest player right now that I would say is a trade candidate as I eat going into the year. Unless they're winning, he's getting traded, and they're probably going to take that money. So you have to really look at the depth of this team. I mean, we're already seeing teams drop their NRI rosters and who, which guys will be non-roster invitees. We know a couple of them, you know, with the minor league signings that they've made, Mancini being the biggest one. But I'm interested to see what – you know, the Troy Johnstons, what Victor Mesa Jr. does in spring training now that he's on the 40 man. I'm yeah. interested to see what those type of guys do. And, you know, looking at the system, you kind of hope that someone like, oof, I don't even know, man. I mean, this system doesn't have many MLB ready guys. You know, one name I'll throw out there. No one's heard of this one. Jake Thompson. He started at Beloit last year. He was an outfielder, first baseman type guy. Finished with Pensacola. He was hitting over 300 the whole year. He's getting up there in age. He's probably a guy who I may see shoot up through the minor league system a little bit quicker just due to age. And if Troy does make it to the big league roster at some point, that is a guy who probably fills in for him at first base. But the other name I'm really intrigued to look at is Jacob Berry. Um, you know, he had a very decent Arizona Fall League stint. That's one who I'm very excited to see what he could provide for this team because it, man, if you remove him from third base, Jacob Berry's offense, I feel like, would get so much better. You don't have to worry about third as something that's bearing you down right now. And I think he would honestly be a big leaguer a lot quicker than people would think if he sticks at first and, or DH. I mean, you need a first baseman. You're going to need it one way or another, no matter what happens. So that's definitely one thing I'm looking at. Yeah, no, I appreciate that that breakdown, Kevin, especially if, like with all those younger players and all those um, – depth pieces if you if you will um and you mentioned yuli guriel and garrett hampson and i mentioned them too in last episode because those were i think valuable valuable pieces off the marlins bench yuli came up with big hits that veteran presence garrett is a kind of like another john birdie utility guy played center played short you put him anywhere except for the pitcher and catcher and he's a fast runner he can put he's a threat on the base pass and you combine that with birdie and chisholm and other guys other speedy guys the marlins had like xavier edwards you know it's a pretty good, you know, tandem to have, but he's gone. I think he's with Kansas City. Yuli's um, opted out to free agency, and I can see Xavier Edwards. Right, there's not enough, you know, positions for him on the field, but I can see him as a viable bench piece. But then again, do you want a guy, a young guy like that, sitting on the bench and not getting everyday reps? So you might, unfortunately, have to see Xavier in. Excuse me, you might see him in the minor leagues. Yeah, and you know. Speaking as well of other players, you know, Bell, I didn't even think about that, you know, of him being a trade piece if things are going south for the Marlins. Now you know, that makes total sense why keep him around. And, yeah, other than Mancini, there hasn't been, I guess, like former big league players that the Marlins have signed to like with minor league deals to invite to spring training. I know they brought back Jonathan Davis on a minor league deal. Devin That's Smeltzer. Uh, huh? That's depth. Jonathan Davis is depth. There's a depth piece. Devin Smeltzer as well. Yeah. Especially for Jazz when he's out. Davis is pretty good. Davis did definitely hold, hold held his own as a replacement player. Um, Devin Smolzer, another depth piece just for the rotation. He can become in relief as well as a lefty specialist. You know, um, just like moves like that they've made, which is fine. Every team does it, you know. Um, and I totally agree with you as well in terms of of, of Victor Mesa, and and he's on the forty man now. And let's see how he does and giving a larger role, you know. He's kind of been an afterthought as well in terms of like when is this you know player going to be ready to get to the big leagues and be and be a formidable formidable player. So we'll see with that. Um, but I want to get into the um, outfield situation a little bit. I know you mentioned it's crazy how like, you know with, with the shortstop situation, um, we were, the Marlins are coming from a, t a combination of Joy Wendell and John Birdie, and it's no offense to those guys; they've had careers in Major League Baseball. But it's like, well, it can't get much worse than this. And I think it has. It really has. And like when your combination at shortstop is now John Birdie, Xavier Edwards, Jacob Admaya, it's like 
for, first off, you don't even know who your starter is. And second off, you question their ability to be an everyday starter for a major league ball club at shortstop out of all positions. So that's, so that's a huge red flag and a huge question mark. And that's kind of, and then Berger, I can see him being more DH, but then who do you replace him at third? So you make a good point there. So yeah, there's still a lot of question marks in the infield. Bell and Arise are pretty much like the only mainstays, um, yeah. you know, at the, with their positions in the infield. Let's go to the outfield for a little bit here. Um, when I was on the pod, Big Fish, um, small pod with Danny Rodriguez, Fish on first, I gave him, he asked me if, who was my pick for breakout player for the Marlins. And for some reason, I still don't know why, but for some reason, oh, when I listened God. to it, I met like the first player that came to mind. So I said, screw it. I'm going to go with it was Abby Garcia. And I, I get it. He has not been a fan favorite down here. But when you look at this roster and how thin they are in the power position, you just mentioned 36 home runs are gone and he yeah. and he might not be coming back with Jorge Soler. So you mentioned that, you know, the power in this lineup, and the lack of it. He can he can provide it. He has proven it is in his track record, not with in a Marlins uniform, but the previous decade practically that he spent in Major League Baseball, he has shown that a track record of at least getting you 15 home runs, you know. So, but but I know that Avi is on thin ice right now with this organization. This is legit his last stand, you know. This is his, or like his last opportunity to make a point that hey, like I'm I'm a serviceable player, like put me into play. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, I see him in the mix, Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, Jazz Chisholm. But other than that, it's like, okay, is this it then? Or is there, there, is, is there anything else going to be happening here? You know, so you tell me, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was mentioning this as an idea very, very early on in the, in the off season, like sell high on Brian De La Cruz, you know, try to get something for Brian De La Cruz. Okay. And obviously, Interesting. you know, this is a guy who's having one really strong rookie campaign when he first got to the Marlins mm-hmm. and he improved and then he did it again. Maybe try to sell high because this is a guy who we've seen it. He's a very streaky player and you don't know if he could consistently stick, you know, offensively, if he could have some offensive consistency. Yeah. So I would have said sell high on him because you have to keep in mind, Avi Garcia is still here for this year and next year and possibly mm-hmm. a third year after that. If, you know, somehow he performs in the Marlins except the club option, which is very, very unlikely. But right. you look at it, I mean, Avi Garcia's here. You saw Jonathan Davis, as you mentioned. I mean, Peyton Burdick's still on the 40-man roster. Mm-hmm. Victor Mesa Jr., if at some point he decides, you know, to, if they decide to bring him up. I mean, aside from that, man, it's it's just a, such, such a tough system to say we have depth. They brought in some guys, Diego Infante. They brought this guy, Diego Infante, yeah. 24-year-old in a minor league deal. You still have some pretty old guys over there at AAA. I mean, it's it's just a matter of the depth on this team, what trades you're going to make. And Trey Mancini could play you the outfield if you really need at the end of the day. I don't think that'll happen at this point in his career, but he's listed as an outfielder on a, the MLB transactions page. So, you know, that's that's another thing too I've been thinking, Alex. Trust me. I mean, Avi Garcia is still on this team. He's making, I think, either the most money or the second most money on this team behind yeah. Josh Bell. So that's, that's a guy who they're going to play, and they have to. I mean, they're not going to sit a guy who they're paying – almost $13 million on the bench. I mean, it's just tough to see unless he really, really just is not good during spring training or comes out of the gates and is not good. He will be a Marlin. So, I mean, we have to like it or not. Um, I really can't remember a case of the race cutting a player with multiple years left on their deal. I, I really just can't. So I don't think Peter would do that. I know Kim maybe would have done that. She would have eaten the money. Miami was ready to eat the money if they had mm-hmm. to. And, um, they're not gonna. They're, they're not gonna eat it here. I don't think they really will. And you kind of hope Avi gets it going. He has a chance, yeah. man. He he yeah. was slimmed down. I know people make the jokes about Slim Avi, but he. I look. He I think got it going a little bit in that Cleveland series last season, right before he went down. I really think he was starting to turn it, but uh, we'll see. Um, I'm not very hopeful. Um, I get that. I hope he does well, but uh, spring training is gonna be huge for him. If he could get it going during spring, yeah, I mean, I mean that would be huge. And you know, we'll see because you still have Jesus Sanchez, who I, even, I haven't even mentioned him. He struggles against lefties. He said he still wants to face lefties. So I'm really interested to see what they go about this because it's not like either you have three gold glovers out there or three really good defenders out there. I mean, yeah. they're all pretty not very good defenders except Jazz, who actually was pretty good in the outfield this season for Miami and that limited sample size. You know, you look at the corners, Brian De La Cruz is not a very good left fielder. So what are you going to do there? Who are, who are you going to platoon? I mean, it's there's a lot of questions that will be answered during spring training. Right now, 
if I had to choose, probably Avi Garcia on right, Jazz in center, and maybe a platoon of DLC and Sanchi and left with Avi Garcia playing some left field at some times too. So the other one goes to right. That's that's a really good point that you bring up in terms of the outfit. That's going to be very interesting. Yeah, and it's just, you go around you go around the diamond, and even even the pitching rotation. There's question marks all over the field. There's I think. Bell and Orias and Chisholm. Those are the, the mainstays in their positions, and everything else is kind of a question mark. We have a very good or kind of a general idea of who's going to be the starter. Like you mentioned, De La Cruz, Avi, San- like you have a good idea. But at the end of the day, like this, I feel like other than the three players I just mentioned, Chisholm, Orias, and Bell, it, I feel like it's a team full of replacement level type of players that you guys who are like on the brink and just can't get it there to be an everyday consistent major league baseball player. Um, and, and De La Cruz, you know, still had a great season in my opinion. I still, I still think he was very serviceable and I think he, he did his job. Hey, Suze would be nice if you can hit lefties, but at least you have that depth piece, I guess with Avi, but you don't want a guy making that much money being a depth piece coming off the bench or platooning. So exactly. that's kind of, you know, the red flags in the outfield talked about the infield already the catching situation i'll be brief with it it is not good right now with fortez and betancourt um oh i forgot to mention vidal brujan as well he plays infield and outfield so let's see what you can throw him into the mix of other i guess more mid-level replace replace replacement type of players it's just another one yeah he struggled at the big level so i mean we'll we'll see what they get from him i mean his only dfa candidate not to say he's a dfa candidate but that is one that i think about if he's struggling right out the gate, I mean, you could cut your ties with him real quick. The only positive I give him is that he's a, he's a switch hitter. So, and he can play multiple positions, but exactly. if you can't hit, you can't hit. doesn't matter from what side of the plate. Yeah. The catching uh, platoon right now is Christian Betancourt, another race player from a race player like Vidal and Nick Fortes. We don't have to get into this much, Kevin. I know we've, uh, Nick Fortes has his struggles behind the plate defensively and offensively. I'm not too familiar with Christian Betancourt. They do say from the reports that I've read that he will help with the running game. I don't know how much that will be and how much how much the needle will be moved in that in that sense. But what can you tell me about Christian Benincourt? Power. I think he, he's a pretty good power hitter, so okay. I'm pretty excited about that. I know Zips has him projected about 11 home runs, so that's pretty good. Oh, uh, he, I mean, you just kind of hope he gives you like that Oakland Athletics Christian Betancourt that was traded midseason to the Rays. Uh, we won't get into it too much, but yeah, I mean, you were there. We were both there in that Tampa series when they Miami went up there to, to drop, and he was throwing guys out left and right, man. He got Jesus Sanchez out at third. He was getting, I mean, he was catching everyone. So it's pretty funny because Betancourt is really good at limiting runners, you know, movement on base when someone like Nick Fortes is really struggling at that, but he's a very good blocker. So yeah. you kind of wish he had both like both of those abilities. But I mean, man, you know, I wouldn't shock me if Miami Bruggers in the third catcher, at least some sort of minor league deal type of guy, you know, like a Yasmani Grandal still out on the market. You know, that's the name I would love Miami to bring in. Just kind of was pretty good for them. Andrew Kisner was someone who I would have liked them to bring in, but I'm trying to like remember catchers right now on the market, but I wouldn't shock me if they bring in another one in a minor league deal with an invite. They did actually. Uh, Johnny Parada. So he's actually a triple A. He was really, really good. He hit over 300 there. So interesting to see what they'll do there. Maybe they bring another one with more ex- major league experience. So that's something I'm looking at because if you look at the Rays the last couple of years on their 40 man or 26 man roster, excuse me, they've had three catchers on there consistently. So last year they had Rene Pinto, Francisco Mejia, and Christian Betancourt. They used all three. No matter what game, what day, they used all three, and they had their reasoning why. You know, Betancourt was really good defensively. He was he he could get it going with the bat sometimes. Mejia, I mean, that was a, I I really wanted him here in Miami. I think he could have been a great bounce back candidate. Then uh, Rene Pinto was really good defensively. So they have their reasons for each guy while they'll use them. And we're shocked if Miami at some point does it, especially with what they have at the minor league level. You know, Paul McIntosh, pretty good bat, really yeah. just struggles on the defensive end. And then Will Banfield, who was home. He was really good, good power over 20 home run season. He really, this was his first real good offensive season, but we'll see what they do at that end. But, you know, at least it isn't Jacob Stallings, and that's what I'll say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, wishing him the best. He actually got a major league deal with Colorado. So maybe no a little 10 home, run and 10 home run season incoming for him. Yeah, because playing course field and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, we wish you know Stallings the best. He, you know, Marlins made an attempt with him. To, yeah, he was coming off a Gold Glove year. 
you know, just didn't work out here in Miami. Sandy won the Cy Young. Sandy won huh? the Cy Young. He was his catcher. Yes, and, and Sandy did create a good connection with uh, um, with Stalling. So there was, I guess, some positive doing his short tenure here in my in Miami. And I appreciate that breakdown of the catching position for the, our, fan, our listeners not really f- are too familiar with the depth behind the plate beyond the major league level because we, we, we know Fortes and Betancourt. But there is some options, the minor league level, you mentioned with Banfield and McIntosh as well. But I agree with you. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they, go, if they have a three-catcher system. You know, slowly but surely, I, I, we are going to see some type of Tampa Bay Rays influence injected into this ball club, you know, and kind, and kind of just like slowly bring in that philosophy. The only thing I'm worried about is don't mimic, like don't copy and paste this thing because exactly. that's when you get yourself in trouble. You got to, I guess, take things here and there from other teams if you want and make it your own thing and mold it into something of your own. So I, th- I think the, the Marlins are kind of doing that with the Rays, getting the bits and pieces of what they're doing over there and kind of molding into their own their own thing here in Miami. Yeah. So we're gonna round, excuse me, we're gonna round things off um, of this episode with the final component of, of the roster, the major league roster, which is the pitching rotation, and talk about uh, break down that rotation going to spring training. Just uh, if you guys listen to the first episode. And don't really know yet. Haven't been like living under a, a rock in the baseball world. But Sandy Alcantara, he's out for 2024. So that the Marlins lost their horse. They lost their ace. They're going into the season with Jesus Lazardo as their uh, as their number one. He has the potential of being an ace. I'm not going to put him in that category yet. Not no disrespect, but he yeah. does. He has shown flashes of it and has the potential for it. Braxton Garrett is their number two, and Kevin beyond that. Other than Yuri Perez, who's going to be on an innings limit, obviously. But other than th- those two and a half, I guess, two and a half pitchers, what what is this rotation going to look like in 2024? So I feel like there's a lot of question marks left to be to be answered. Yeah, so Yuri may be on an innings limit, but he's still going to throw more than he did last year, just looking at just overall combined between double A and, and the, the major leagues. He pitched, I believe, about 120 innings. I think he'll surpass that in 2024. Uh, okay. You know, that's what Skip told us on, I think, Fish on First not too long ago. So, yeah, there there's that. And then, I mean, look, you lost Sandy. You lost about 200 innings. But yeah, this rotation's still not bad. This is probably one of the, still one of the better rotations in at least the National League. Well, that's hopeful, yeah. With Hazel Suzardo, as you said. Braxton Garrett, if he continues what he's been doing. Yuri. And then, man, I mean, you really hope you're getting the Edward Cabrera that the Marlins thought. That was right. – that was one of the bigger disappointments of the season with Edward. I hope he really gets it going because if not, they have depth. And your number five, you kind of hope Trevor Trevor Rogers gets it going there too. And then you look a little deeper into there into the system. You have Max Meyer coming back, so I'm very excited to see what he does. He'll probably get some reps sure. at AAA before beforehand. You have Ryan Weathers, who you brought in from the uh, Padres in that Garrett Cooper trade. And, you know, you keep looking down, eventually you have Pat Monteverde from the minor leagues and you have someone like Dax Fulton to see what he okay. comes back. So they, they have options. I don't think Dax Fulton will pitch much at all, actually, at the major league level, but they have their guys. And then you mentioned Devin Smeltzer. He's someone who can bring you some inning help there, too. Uh, they run in a couple, like, pitchers off of, you know, waiver claims like Caleb Ort. And some guys like that, so should be interesting where they go. And then AJ Puck, actually, I, I'm, I'm I was going to mention that he's going to start spring training games for the Marlins. So interesting, that could definitely be an interesting development there. See how it goes. He was a very good starter with uh, Florida, so the Gators. So should be interesting. I'm very excited to see what Ryan Weathers does, though. You know, he's coming from the minor league system, the PCL league, the Pacific Coast League, which is by far the hardest minor league th- league to pitch in. Because sure. the, I mean, if you thought cords is hard to pitch in, that is maybe <laughs> as hard or even harder. And he was talking about it, and you know, the Marlins Hot Stove Show. He was on that not too long ago, and he was mentioning, you know, like, you know, I'll pitch in the playoffs. I pitched in all these scenarios. That that league was probably the hardest one I've ever pitched in. And you want things to move some sort of way when you're throwing your pitches. It's just unable to happen there. And I think now a full off season for him someone who was regarded as one of the best prospects in the Padres. He was, he was called up a little too early for, you know, people's liking, but let's see what he does. I mean, he, he's going to work with Mel and he's going to have a chance to really crack this rotation, especially if someone like Edward Cabrera struggles. I mean, if he struggles during the spring, you really got to start looking into trading him. I'm surprised he hasn't been traded. 
I would like him to get no, no, I would like him to get traded, but it would bring back prospect capital for yeah. the Marlins. And you know, you look at some teams, Chicago needs still needs pitching, and they're they have Christopher Morel there who may not even make get traded at some point. You look at Baltimore, who always needs pitching. They have some really good prospects that you could trade that won't make any type any type of impact at the big league level just due to you know you have a guy like Jackson Holiday coming up soon. Gunnar Henderson's still there. You have a really good team there. So th- they have their options. And the same goes to something like Luzardo. I mean, if they end up trading Luzardo, it would be kind of the Blake Snell 2.0 situation. Exactly the same situation. Still three years left remaining on Varb. You're going to trade him right after his best season, which was over 200 innings for Luzardo, over 200 strikeouts. It was a great year for Luzardo. So you look at it in that sense. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, still a really good rotation, man. I mean, this is – look. I don't think Miami's going to make the playoffs by any means. I don't think they're right. going to be better than 84 wins, but 78, 80 wins, it's feasible, especially if most of, if, if everything goes well for the Marlins. I mean, the pitching, they I think they have a lot better depth than they did last season because especially bring back Devin Smeltzer, who, you know, say whatever you want, minor league deal, whatever. He pitched pretty well for the Marlins at some points this season. He gave them a lot of length. You still have George Soriano, who gives you a lot of length too out of the bullpen. AJ yeah. Puck, I mean, Look, they have depth, they have length in this in this rotation. I think they'll be fine without Sandy. Uh, I never thought I would say that, but definitely you're you're losing a guy. I mean, you're losing to Cy Young winner, but you still have some very, very good pitchers. I mean, Luzardo, uh, Luzardo, Brax, and and Yuri. I mean, that's your three, and you really hope Trevor Rogers gets it going, especially this year. I mean, I know he's coming off of an injury, but he was really he looked like he was turning the corner right there at the end of the year. He had that good start against Arizona and then he was really getting it going with San against San Francisco when he came out. So, uh I like this rotation, man. I really do and uh, the depth in it is is really fun. I'm really excited to see what they do. Spring training is going to be extremely fun in terms of just what guys they utilize, how they utilize them and you know, I'm very excited. Max Myers another one. That guy's coming off of TJ. Um he was the Marlins top prospect at one point in this organization and Mm-hmm. Worst comes to worst, he's a really good reliever, but you would like to see him start. I would like to see him start, honestly. I mean, I think he's a starting pitcher still in, in, in this league. Yeah, and you know what? And I, I agree with you and everything you said about the rotation. I think that this is the most exciting group of all the groups that we've kind of broke apart. The pitching rotation, I think, for me, is the most exciting in terms of what to look forward to because I, I, I mentioned that they have like two and a half pitchers. Obviously, it's an exaggeration. They got a formidable three starting pitchers with Yuri Braxton and Lusardo. But beyond that, there, there, there is depth. They have bodies. That's a fact. But the other side of the coin to that is, are they ready to, to take on that, to take that next step forward, take that additional step ahead in terms of their progress and growth as major league pitchers? Because, and I do like the idea of throwing in puck at this point, you gotta, you got, if you're going to work internally from the within, on how to replace Sandy or how to remain competitive without Sandy, then I'm all good with, you know, throwing puck out there to see if he can be a starter. Um, you have Soriano as well, as you mentioned, you have, and then, you know, you have Weathers who's another hard throwing lefty. And then you forget, you forget about Trevor Rogers, you know? So there are pieces there. I'm, I'm most excited for is Max Meyer though. Cause we just got like a small taste of, of what he can provide. Cause excuse me, because of, of, of him going down with Tommy John. Yeah. So yes, there are there is depth there. It's just they need to answer the bell now. They need to they need to actually like produce on the field and to to, to answer these type of question marks that we have about them. And Edward too, you know. So it's like there's a lot of names out there that we threw out, you know. And how with all those names in the mix, I'm very curious to see how they round off this rotation because there's two spots open. There's two spots open, which is a lot. Most teams go in there with kind of the rotation already in place. Maybe with the, with the one, maybe the last spot in the rotation is up for grabs throughout baseball. It's kind of like that. The Marlins, in, in their case, they got two um, openings in their starting rotation because with, with Yuri, Braxton, Lasardo holding it down already. So I appreciate that dissection. And Kevin, any, but we're rounding things off here. We're closing things off. Any final thoughts on the Marlins offseason and, and what, and any, or, or spring training? Anything else you have to say for us to, and your listeners? Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would say is a six-man rotation is definitely still a possibility no matter sure. what. I mean, you look at guys that you don't want to get injured. Gary is someone who, I mean, we've seen him. They want to be very conservative with this guy. They don't want him to get injured. So a six-man rotation benefits someone like Yuri. It'll benefit Bra- um, someone like Trevor Rogers too, with his injury, and Edward 
and it'll allow another pitcher to enter. So like, like Max Meyer or Ryan Weathers. So that'll definitely be something I'm watching. And man, I mean, let's hope they, the fish could surprise us again this season. I mean, it was a very, very fun year in 2023. Uh, no matter what, what states this team is in, we always have a good time at the ballpark, no matter what. So, you know, I want to thank you for having me on. I appreciate it a lot. Um, we'll catch each other probably soon at a spring at a spring training game, or I'll be there. And we'll be there. You'll be there at the City of Caribe. So I'll see you then. And uh, thank you again for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. And guys, if you're listening, don't forget you can catch Kevin on Fish on First. They're on any streaming platform you can think of. Fish on First is there. You can also catch him here with the Lemon City Live family and his Pause Up podcast and his coverage of all of FIU athletics. He does an incredible job. He's all over the place. He's hustling. He's grinding. He's doing his thing. And he's on the come up and he's continued to rise. Kevin Barral, thank you so much for being on. And we'll be back again for season two, episode three. I'm your host, Alex Aguirre. And don't forget, let's go fish. Now,